0: family needed to come up to the church for something and uh, we were about halfway here when I asked the question do you think 620 will be backed up? What a, what a dumb question. Uh, sure enough it was. It was backed up all the way to the other light um, and so we had plenty of time to think and uh, discuss whether or not we think that overpass is going to do or how much good it's going to do. Surely it will help something. Um, but you know, I don't know if you deal with this or not, as as you live and work in the area, um, er, every morning when I wake up, I I need to look at my phone, and I need to look at uh, traffic, and I need to see what's the quickest way to get to work. Um, I'll get out my phone, and I'll look, and I'll kind of see which direction uh, I should go, uh, which way is the most backed up. I, I, I have... I have to figure out the best way to go, but, but the good news is, and the blessing of it, is that there are many ways to get from my house to the office. I, I can choose which way is the least annoying, um, or which one will be the fastest. Um, I have many choices. Well, there are many ways to make it from my house to the office, but listen to me, there is only one way to gain righteousness. There's one. And the question at hand this morning that we're going to wrestle with is, how do I gain righteousness before God. Now to be righteous is like correct action, correct attitude before God. How, how can I gain right standing in God's eyes? How, how, how can I get that? And for every person in the room and for every person who's ever lived and every person that will live, that is the question that we have to face. How can I gain right? Righteousness. How can I be in a place where God views me as righteous? And that's important because what the scriptures teach is that it's only the righteous who can stand before God in the judgment. And there is a judgment that's coming. There is a judgment. I've I've, you know, you've probably heard it said that all roads lead to God, and we, we disagree. We say, you know, uh, you know, Jesus says, I am the way, there is one way to Jesus. But I heard one pastor say, well, that actually is kind of true, that all roads lead to God. They actually lead to the judgment seat of God. And there at the judgment seat of God, he will give the verdict, whether guilty or not guilty, whether righteous or unrighteous. And so the question that we have to wrestle with this morning is how can I stand before God in righteousness? How can I be certain that I receive a not guilty verdict on the day of judgment? There's only one way, and this has always been the case, whether the Old Testament or the New Testament, this has always been the case. There is one way forward. Now, Paul is going to deal with this in Galatians chapter 3, and that's that's where we are this morning, Galatians chapter 3, and we've been in the book of Galatians for a few weeks. We're going to be in the book of Galatians for a few more. Uh, We're going to pick up in verse 6, but before we do that, I kind of have to give you a little bit of context. Paul argues like linearly in a line, and to pick up in the middle of his thought can be challenging to really get what he's saying. So just a little bit of backup so we can get what Paul's trying to say. You know, Paul has preached the gospel to the these Galatians. He He showed up in South Galatia, and he preached the gospel to them. A bunch of them got saved, and he started churches, and then he left. He left them in charge of their own churches. Well, then some people came in and started preaching another gospel. They said, well, Paul, you're Paul's kinda right, but yes, Jesus is the Messiah, but you also have to keep the law of Moses. If you would be the people of God, you have to keep the law of Moses, you have to become Jewish, you you have to be circumcised, you have to follow the 10 commandments, keep everything written in the first five books. Well, Paul gets wind of this and so he writes the letter of Galatians, that's what we've been studying, that's what this is. He he writes the letter to them to explain how these people have twisted the gospel. He begins by defending himself. I have authority as an apostle. Jesus made me an apostle, he says. And then he says, my message has authority because because Jesus himself gave me the message. I didn't make it up and nobody gave it to me. Jesus himself gave me this message. Well, what is the message that Paul is defending? If you have your Bible open, you can see it in, in chapter two, verse 16. Paul summarizes his message like this. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. A person is justified. Now, justified, that's a word we throw around, you know. Uh, in, in church, you hear that word, justified. One way to think of it is the phrase, justification is just as if I never sinned. That's, that's not completely precise, but that's, that's okay. That's a way to remember what it means, just as if I never sinned. Justification, though, it, it has a forensic connotation. That means it's like a courtroom. God is the judge, and the person comes before him, and God looks at this person. He he delivers this verdict. He says, not guilty. Well, that person is justified. Okay? So a person is declared not guilty, not by keeping the works of the law, but by faith in Christ. That's Paul's message, that's the one he's preached from the beginning, that's the one he's gonna take, Galatians three and Galatians four, defending, that, that's the message. Well in today's verses, uh, Paul is going to argue from the Old Testament, and we're gonna see how Paul appeals to Father Abraham. He's, he's gonna open his Old Testament, and he's gonna go to this man named Abraham. Now he didn't just do that by chance, just flip through and find one. He has a reason why. What Paul is doing is he's going to flip his opponent's argument upside down on them. So probably what they're arguing is something like this. If you would be saved, if you would be righteous, if you would be justified before God, you have to be a part of the people of God. Part of the people of God. That means that you have to be a son of Abraham. Look at Abraham. He was circumcised. So you also, would you be a son of Abraham, you also have to do what Abraham did. And so Paul, what he's going to do is he's going to look and say, you want to look at Abraham? I'll look at Abraham too. You know, this is what the Jewish elite ha- have done. You, you see it in the Bible in the New Testament. This is what they do all the time. They, you know, uh, one time they came to uh, Jesus and Jesus said to them this famous line, uh, if, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And, and these Jewish elite, they respond to Jesus, and they say, but we have Abraham as our father. We don't need to be freed from anything. They, mi- they missed it. And, and then one time, John the Baptist, he's baptizing people in the Jordan River, and these Jewish elite come for baptism. And John says, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You guys are a bunch of hypocrites. And don't, don't think that you can say, well, uh, you know, we have Abraham as our father. Like, that means anything. John tells them... God's able to make to make these rocks become sons of Abraham. Uh, that doesn't matter, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, he tells them. So these Jewish elite are deceived into thinking that their right standing before God is based on their ethnic heritage. Like the blood in their veins constitutes their righteousness. We have Abraham as our father. We're good to go. Well, here in Galatia, it's it's a little bit different, but it's a similar thing. Like if if you would be part of the people of God, they, they think, well, then you've got to be a son of Abraham. And, and if you want to be a son of Abraham, you've either got to have his blood or you've got to be uh, circumcised and, and commit to obey the law of Moses. That's their argument. Well, Paul is going to bite back and he's going to say, well, you want to look at Abraham? Let's look at Abraham. And he's going to tell these people, his opponents, he's going to say, you aren't who you think you are, sons of Abraham. Well, let's go ahead, let's look. Verse 6 of chapter 3 in Galatians, Paul writes this. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Uh, Please pray with me just for a second. Um, Lord, I pray that your spirit would open our minds to understand your word and would apply it directly to our hearts. Help us to submit to what you have for us this morning. Give us understanding, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at these verses together, they're kind of organized in a certain certain way. Um, So there's an Old Testament reference, a reference to something in the Old Testament, and then there's an implication, or kind of like a so what, or why does that matter? So Old Testament implication, and then after that, there's another Old Testament reference, And another implication. And so that's how these verses are organized. And you'll kind of see that here in a second. Um, So in verses 6 to 7, the main idea there is those of faith are sons of Abraham. And in verses 8 through 9, the main idea is those of faith inherit the blessing of Abraham. And that's how we're going to kind of look at this together. So let's look at verses 6 through 7 in a little bit more detail. Uh, The main idea, if you're taking notes, you can write down the sons of Abraham. You can write that down. Now, as we were reading there in verse 6, as I began to read, if you were following along with me, maybe on the screen or in your own English Standard Bible, uh, you likely realized or thought that we picked up in the middle of a thought. There's a question mark at the end of verse 6, and that sentence really doesn't make much sense if there's a question mark there. And what, I, what you need to know, uh, it's not that big of a deal, but what you need to know is there's some debate in translation on whether verse 6 belongs with verses 1 through 5, or verse 6 belongs with verses 7 through 9. And I, the English Standard Version goes with uh, verse 6 belongs with the first few verses. Uh, the NIV, if you have the NIV in front of you, it actually goes the other way. And the NIV thinks that verse 6 belongs with verses 7 through 9. None of that actually matters. It just answers the question on why I picked up in the middle of a sentence. Uh, what The reason I think the NIV is correct is because uh, you have this this pattern, this Old Testament reference and an implication, and you'll see that as we move through. So in verse 6, Paul says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is an Old Testament reference to Abraham. They've said, let's look at Abraham. Paul says, great, yes, let's look at Abraham, and let's see what he has to say to us. So this is a reference back to Genesis chapter 15. Now, we don't have the time to go back And look at all of this in more detail. We actually are doing that in men's Bible study. So those of you that that are men that want to come to Bible study on Wednesday nights. We do it in the spring and the fall. uh, Wednesday evenings. We have the best men. We have the best snacks. And we have the best book. And you're invited to come. And I'm not sure what else you would possibly want. But we're going to have a great time starting up in September again. And we're right in the middle talking about Abraham. So, so come, come to that. We don't have time to do all of that, but I can give you a quick Abraham breakdown. Abraham was a man. He was like a Chaldean. He was not Jewish because Judaism came after Abraham. He, he was a Chaldean. He didn't follow the one true God. As a matter of fact, we can read the scriptures and find out that Abraham was a moon worshiper. He, he worshipped the moon. But then one day, God appeared to Abraham and he called him. He said, go to a land that I'll show you. And Abraham believes God and he does. He obeys God. He goes to this land. And then God makes promises to Abraham. He says, I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. All families of the earth will be blessed because of you, Abraham. And then God promises Abraham, your offspring. You know, Abraham's walking through this new land, the land of Canaan. And God says, Look around. All of this land will belong to your offspring. Now, those promises are actually uh, pretty difficult promises to believe, and the reason why is because Abraham is wandering in the land of Canaan. This land belongs to somebody else. How can you say that my offspring will possess this land? Oh, and by the way, Abraham's question is, how, how can you say that I'll have offspring? He's an old man. His wife is an old woman, and she's also barren. They have no kids. So what do you mean offspring? That's a big promise. Well, the story fast forwards. It's just a couple of chapters in Genesis, but it's several years go by, and there's still no kid. God's promises to Abraham have not come to fruition. But the Lord appears to Abraham again, and he he appears to Abraham, and it's like it's like Abraham has his journal. He gets out his journal, and he's like, "Lord, um, your promises. I don't have a child yet. I don't possess this land yet, but." but here are my ideas. Let me, let me show you how I think you should accomplish your plan. And he has all these plans, and, and it's like the Lord rolls his eyes at Abraham's idea, and he says, Abraham, let's go outside. They go outside, and he says, look, look at the sky, Abraham. And, and it's nighttime, look at the sky outside. Now, if, if you've ever been to a place where you have been away from the city lights, and you've been able to look up into the sky and see the stars, if you've ever been able to, to see that, I... Uh, I was able to go into Colorado and and up on a mountain one time, away from all the city lights, and you can look up and see just an amazing scene in the sky. That's similar to the sky that Abraham would have seen. And the Lord says, look up, see all those stars? Now, Abraham, I want you to count them. Abraham's like, one, two, he's like, I can't count these stars. That's not gonna happen. And the Lord says, so shall your offspring be. You have no offspring, you have no son, But do you see all of those stars? You can't count them? That's going to be the same of your offspring. They're going to be innumerable. And Genesis 15 tells us, it says, and Abraham believed God and he counted it to him as righteousness. And really what's being explained there is the the way that it, it can be understood or should be understood is that Abraham had been believing God all along. It's not like he just now started believing God. He had been believing God all along and God counted it counted it to him as righteousness. Then the story fast forwards again into Genesis 17, just a couple of chapters, but a few years. There's still no offspring. And God says, remember the promises that I made? Let me give you a sign of the covenant. And that's where circumcision appears in Genesis 17. After faith, after God's call, circumcision's way over here in the story. Now, This phrase is what Paul is referring to. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's the the phrase. Now, now what I want to do is I want to make sense of that statement because that's huge for Paul's argument here. I want to make sure that we all understand that, that statement and what's being said. So let me say it in a really clunky way, not using any sort of pronouns or anything, just make it really clunky. Listen to this. Abraham believed God... And God counted Abraham's faith to Abraham as righteousness. Let me say that again. Abraham believed God, and God counted Abraham's faith to Abraham as righteousness. Let me make some sense of that, okay? Abraham believed God is the first statement there. Abraham believed God. Not Abraham believed in God, or Abraham believed that God exists. That's not what it says. Abraham believed God. He believed God's words. That's what faith is, to believe God's words, to believe what God says is true, and to put all of yourself into it. Like, if God's words aren't true, then I'm done. I'm ruined. My life is over, because I'm putting my whole self on God's words. It, it, it's kind of like this. Um, when I was Younger, when I was a kid, uh, we lived in San Antonio and we went to uh, Six Flags Fiesta, Texas all the time and rode roller coasters. Uh, my kid, my parents, I think a couple of years, we had um, season passes and so my parents would just drop me and some friends off and we would just stay at Six Flags all day, ride as many roller coasters as we possibly could, get in as much trouble as we possibly could at Six Flags. Well, if you think about it, uh, back in those days, like in the, it was like the, you know mid 90s late 90s there was a roller coaster there called the Rattler now I think there's a new Rattler but it don't worry about that one this was the real deal it was the tallest wooden roller coaster in the world it had the steepest incline the the farthest drop in the world wooden wooden roller coaster Um, it was such a great roller coaster that they kept having to change the incline because there was too many head and neck injuries so maybe that's what's wrong with me you know, the last time I went to Fiesta, Texas, they had to tear that thing down, and they, uh, they have something called the Iron Rattler. Don't even bother with it. Uh, there's not enough head and neck injuries on that one. The last time that my family went to Fiesta, Texas, we rode the Superman ride, and that's my new favorite ride. And, and we, we rode that roller coaster, and that one, you sit in a chair and your feet are dangling down. That's fun, and you, you put on the, the over-the-shoulder harness thing. And this, this ride goes up and down, which is fine, and then it kind of turns you side to side, and then it starts turning you upside down with these loops. And if you didn't have that harness thing on, on you're going to fall out, right? So, so you get on this roller coaster, and you sit, and you pull the harness down, and then they have like a teenager who's half looking at their phone. Come check your harness to make sure it's safe. You know, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. Um, and then they have another teenager who doesn't want to be there, standing at the the start thing and they say all clear dispatching train and they push a button. Now here's the thing. You are demonstrating faith when you, maybe blind faith, getting on this roller coaster and putting on this harness because if that thing doesn't work, you're gonna fall out. I know because my phone fell out of my pocket on that Superman ride. You're gonna fall out. You're putting all of your hope and all of your faith in that thing that's holding you in. That's what faith is. As soon as they push that button and send you on that ride, you're in. See, Abraham believed God. Not believed that he exists. He believed God. He he trusted in God's promises. He got on the roller coaster. He pulled the thing. He buckled himself in. And he submitted himself to whatever twists and turns and loops and all the crazy that was going to happen in Abraham's life. He completely submitted himself to the will of the Lord. That is faith. And, and the statement is that God, uh, Abraham believed God. Well, the second part of that statement is that God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness. Now, what in the world does that mean? Now, he says the word count. That doesn't mean like one, two, three, four, five, six. It, it doesn't mean that. It means that he considered it or he reckoned it. it it's, it's an accounting term is what it is. So, so you imagine that maybe maybe God has has a ledger. He, he doesn't have a ledger, but imagine that he has a ledger, and then he has names here, and then he has columns across here, and and Abraham, his name is here, and he and it says that God is going to count it or consider it or reckon it. He's gonna make a mark in one of these columns for for Abraham. That's what he's gonna do. Well, it says that that God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness. So so he's gonna look at Abraham's name. And then he's going to find the column that says righteousness, and he's going to put a mark there. Righteousness, not faith. He's not finding the faith column, he's finding the righteousness column. And he's putting a check mark there. Because God considered Abraham's faith as righteousness. Not Abraham's obedience as righteousness. Not Abraham's righteousness as righteousness. See, Abraham didn't gain righteousness by doing good things because there can never be enough good things to outweigh the bad things you do. You know, sometimes we think of of our position before God as like scales. If I can do more good things to outweigh the bad things, then God will be pleased with me. I want to tell you this morning that that's not how God thinks. He doesn't think about more and less and outweighing. He thinks in in a category of either or. You're either righteous or you're not. It's more like 100% is demanded. And if you don't have 100%, 99 is not good enough. You know, uh, when we lived in Kentucky several years ago, we didn't have any kids yet, and I had more time to fill. We, uh, one of the things that I did is I wanted to make my, uh, a goal of mine was to make 100 free throws in a row, like basketball, shooting free throws. So I, I would go in the gym by myself, nobody was there, and I would shoot a free throw, and then I would go get the ball and bring it back to the free throw line all by myself and try to make 100 in a row. Never achieved it, but I did, I did get pretty close. I got in like the low 90s, okay? So, so one, at one point, like say it was 92. I hit like 92 in a row, and then I missed number 93. And then I made like 10 more or something, and I got all the way to 100 having only missed one. Did I achieve 100%? Well, no, I didn't. What if, what if I made 15 more or 20 more or 30 more or 40 more? What Would I have achieved 100%? No, because I missed one. The reality is, for us, if God, God's God's standard is either righteous or not, 100% or not, we haven't made 92 free throws in a row. <laughs> we, we've fallen way short of that. We're, we're not even close. And the demand is 100%. It's not a scale. It's either or. Look, trying to be a good person is a good thing to do. And you should do that. Try to be a... a a good mom or dad, or going to church, or making up for past wrongs. All of those things are good things. You should do those things. Those are actually godly things that you should do, but none of those things will justify you before God. And so you have Abraham. His faith is counted to him as righteousness, and Paul's argument here is that he begins in verse 7, the implication after the Old Testament reference, the implication is that since that's true of Abraham, then it's got to be true for everyone. He says there in verse 7, those of faith are the sons of Abraham. Those of faith are the sons of Abraham. Um, we got VBS coming up, right? It's a couple of weeks. If you have not signed up for VBS, now's the time. You can go on the website, centralrr.com backslash VBS. It's not hard to remember. Get on the website, sign your kids up, sign up to volunteer. It takes a whole church to make VBS happen, whether you have kids or not, whether you're tired or not. We, it takes everybody to make VBS go. Uh, also, who have you invited? We have little cards that you can take with you, and you can invite anybody you want to to VBS. You might say, my neighbor doesn't have kids. Well, maybe they have grandkids, or maybe they know someone with kids. You never know. Invite them anyway. So who have you invited to VBS? Anyways, VBS, maybe maybe when you were a kid you learned this song, maybe it was VBS. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm. You know in the first service, in the first service, James our camera guy back there started doing the right arm and so uh, then all the nonsense happens after, after you start doing right arm, left arm, whatever else happens. That song is deeply theological. When I was a kid, I didn't know it or understand it. I'm not a son of Abraham. Abraham is not my father. I'm not Jewish that I know of. How, how could I be a son of Abraham? That song is deeply theological and a direct reference to Galatians chapter 3 verse It is those of faith that are the sons of Abraham. Just because you have Abraham's blood running through your veins doesn't mean that you're a son of Abraham. If you have faith like Abraham, you're a son of Abraham. If you believe God's words, then then God counts your faith as righteousness too. What has God said to us? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is. Is the son of God. He died on the cross. And he was risen on the third day. So that if you and I. We place our trust in Jesus. And believe his promise. We can receive the forgiveness of sins. And we can receive eternal life. That's the promise of God. And we believe God's words. And we are sons of Abraham. And we gain righteousness. I don't have to be good enough. I don't have to be born into the right family or under the right circumstances. I'm a son of Abraham. Well, who cares about being a son of Abraham? Who cares? Why does that matter? That's where Paul is gonna take us next. And so the second section is verses eight and nine. We we did the the sons of Abraham, and now the second section, if you wanna label it in your notes, the blessing of Abraham, beginning in verse eight. The blessing of Abraham. In verse 8, Paul says this, and the scripture for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, hang on a second, the scripture, Paul's writing the scripture, what scripture is he referring to? Well, he's referring to the Old Testament. So the Old Testament for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that means that the writers of the Old Testament knew, they saw that what God was going to do is he wasn't just going to save the Jewish people, he was going to save everybody. Jew and Gentile, he was going to save them all by faith. The scripture seeing this ahead of time. It says, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Wait a minute. God spoke the gospel to Abraham? Abraham's way early, like Genesis, and he spoke the gospel to him? How did he do that? Well, he gives us our Old Testament reference. He says, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Now that's a reference to Genesis chapter 12. He's already alluded to Genesis 15. Now he's pointing back to Genesis chapter 12 where God made those promises to Abraham. One of those promises was, in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. Paul's looking back at that statement. Now let's think about what that means for a second. In you, all families of the earth will be blessed. What, What do we mean by the word blessed? I bet you say that word more at church than you do at your house. How are you, brother? Well, I'm blessed, brother. How are you? Are you blessed too, brother? You talk at church like you don't you, you don't talk like that at home. Uh, what what do we mean by blessed? Well, what's the opposite of blessed? Cursed. Cursed. So, I want you to think about this with me for just a second, okay? Abraham shows up on the scene in Genesis chapter 12, okay? And God says, "Go to a land I'll show you and And then he he gives them these promises, okay? Before Genesis chapter 12 is what? Genesis 1 through 11, very good. You're with me, all right? Genesis 1 through 11. Here's the story of Genesis 1 through 11. God creates things to be good and then everything goes downhill from there. It's like a downward spiral to where things are as bad as they could possibly be In Genesis chapter 11, it's just this downward spiral. And Moses is the author of Genesis, and when he writes Genesis, he uses this word to describe creation and the state that it's in. This word he uses is cursed. As a matter of fact, Moses uses the word cursed five times in Genesis 1 through 11. Five times to describe creation. And then Abraham shows up on the scene. God makes promises to Abraham. and God says, Abraham... I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all families of the earth will be blessed. Five times cursed in Genesis 1 through 11. Five times blessed in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. It's as if we're being told in Genesis that Abraham, rather the offspring of Abraham, is the answer. Is the solution to the brokenness of Genesis 1 through 11? That is to say, like this like, like in Abraham, everything that's sad in our world will come untrue. In Abraham, everything that is broken will be repaired. In Abraham, everything that the locust has eaten will actually be restored. In Abraham, those who have made a mess of their lives can be made clean. And in Abraham, those who are unrighteous can be made righteous. I don't know who's in the room, and I I don't know uh, where your life's at. I don't know what grief you have. I don't know what regrets you have, what, what brokenness you have. I don't know if you've made a mess of your life and you wish you could just undo it. Here's what we're being told. In Abraham, that is, we'll see here in a second, the offspring of Abraham. Everything that's broken can be restored. Everything that's broken can be restored in Abraham. Well, well, why Abraham? And how, Abraham? How, How does that work? Well, it's the offspring of Abraham. As we read the story of the Bible, it begins to unfold and we begin to see, oh, it's not just Abraham, it's the offspring of Abraham, the singular offspring of Abraham. Who who is that one that is to come? Well, it's Jesus. It's in Jesus that all nations of the earth will be blessed. It's it's in him alone that Jesus' death and resurrection has accomplished for us the blessing of Abraham, that you can take hold of what was promised to Abraham, you can take hold of it by faith in Jesus. And that's that's really the implication there. We had the Old Testament reference and then we kind of had the so what. That's the implication in verse nine. Those of faith are blessed along with Abraham. All that was promised to Abraham is promised to you too. You will be blessed. You will be blessed because your sins are not counted against you. Blessed is the one whose sins are covered by faith in Jesus. You know, there's one way to achieve righteousness and it's actually not by achieving anything. It's by believing and receiving. There's one way. Now, the, Paul's opponents in Galatia were arguing that, well, no, you, but you've got to follow the law. Like, you've got to keep all the rules, though, too. You, you have to do that also. And Paul says, no, if you look at Abraham's life, that's not true. Abraham's faith, not his works was counted to him as righteousness. Here's my question. Do you want to receive the blessing of Abraham? That is, do you want to be, do you want to be righteous in God's sight? If that's true, then believe God's words. Trust in Jesus this morning. Now, as we think about these verses this morning, there's, there's three things I want to emphasize for you here's the first one this is kind of a sidebar but I can't help it we cannot unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament we don't have to follow all the rules in the Old Testament but that doesn't mean that we're done with the Old Testament because the Old Testament sets the trajectory and the foundation for the New Testament Like if you wanna understand the New Testament you need to understand the patterns and the promises that are developed in the Old Testament it all works together it's one it's one book if you would understand the Bible better do, do you do you know what you need to do you need to read it you, you want to get better at reading the Bible what what do you need to do well you, you need to you need to read it I, we talk about this in our family all the time I, I tell my kids if you if you want to be a faster runner, do you know what you need to do? Well, you, you need to run. If if you want to be better at catching a ball, what do you need to do? You need to catch a ball over and over and over and over. If you want to be better at throwing a ball? What do you need to do? You need to throw a ball over and over and over. You want to get better at math? What do you need to do? Ask your mother, because I'm of no help here with math. <laughs> but do math over and over and over. Listen, I believe. That in this room right now, the spirit of God is stirring in somebody, at least one person in this room. You're like, man, I do. I, the Bible is hard. It, it was written in another language thousands of years ago, and it's translated into English. It's hard to understand. I want to understand it, though. How, how do I understand it? Well, you understand it by reading it over and over and over again and read all of it. The Old Testament, too, the parts that you just don't get, read it. And it doesn't matter how long it takes you. It might take you three years to get through the Bible. That's fine. Just read it. And we can't, we can't just read the parts we like, because then we'll never understand. We cannot unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Here's the second point of application. I'll summarize it with this phrase. One, not two. One, not two. There is one people of God. There aren't two. There's one. One. Paul teaches over and over again, there is one people of God, and there has only ever been one people of God. Those people of God are established by and identified by faith. Here, here's what I mean by that. Like, we might read the Old Testament, and we would say, okay, the people of God in the Old Testament, they were righteous before God because they kept the law. And they, they did all those rituals and those sacrifices, and that's how they had their sins forgiven, was, was the blood of bulls and goats. But what Paul is showing us in Galatians 3 is actually something quite different. Abraham was not righteous before God because he did some stuff. Abraham was righteous before God because he had faith. He trusted God. That's why he was righteous. You know, the same is true of the Jews who, who went to the temple and sacrificed these animals. I don't know if you've thought about this before. There's no magic in the blood of bulls and goats. There's no magic there. It's not like these, these animals were mystical and that, that's what saved people from their sins. That's actually not what happened. No, God said, hey, if you'll do this really weird thing and sacrifice these animals, I'll forgive your sins. Do you believe me or not? And the person who believed in their heart that God would forgive them if they, they simply did what he said, that belief is what they gained forgiveness from, is their belief. Their, their faith activated their actions. The same was true in the Old Testament and the same is true now. So there is one people of God, not two. Why? Because there's one pathway to righteousness, not two. One people of God, the people of faith. In other words, there's not a second way to kind of earn it. And I know we are tempted to believe the lies of the enemy, to kind of repeat some of these errors. I'm not sure that anybody in the room is going to say, you know, i I'm Jewish, and that's what I'm clinging to. I I don't think that's probably true, but we we cling to other things, don't we? Something other than faith, like I grew up in church. How long you been a Christian? I've been a Christian my whole life. That's impossible. You can't be a Christian your whole life. You can grow up in a Christian home, but you can't be a Christian your whole life. When do you place your faith in in Jesus? I, I grew up in church, you might say. Well, growing up in church doesn't justify you before God i'm a pretty good person i mean my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds well being a good a, a good a pretty good person doesn't justify you before god what i'm a member of central I, I went to i went to intro to central i went and did the lunch thing and everything and then you told me to go to a a, a class a membership class where i learned all about the church and what's expected of me i did that Then you wanted me to meet with a pastor, an elder, uh, to to get to know me. I did that. I loved it. It was great to get to know them. And then I did everything you told me to do. I I got in a group, and I I participated in my group. And then I found a place of service that matches my giftings. I did that. Um, I gave generously to the church. I attended worship as much as I possibly could. I did everything you asked me to do. Am I not righteous before God? Those things are great, and you should do them, and I believe that's God's best for you. But those things do not justify you before God. Being a member of Central does not justify you before God. May it never be said, may it not be true, but it's possible. Heaven forbid that there's someone who is a member of Central that they go in the judgment and they stand before God and they are deemed unrighteous because their faith is in something else. Don't let that be you. There's one people of God, not two, the people of faith. Here's the last thing. believe and be believe and be sometimes it's hard for us to just be there's a personality type i know because i have it where uh you like checklists you like checklists of things to do now you set a goal and you set little goals to meet that goal and it's just very linear and i i don't feel like i had a good day unless i checked off all the boxes and i feel like i had a good day when i did check off all the boxes there's a personality type, and that's, that's fine. That's my personality type. We need those kinds of people in our world, otherwise we'd never get anything done. Um, but here's, here's where that's a problem. It, it's a problem when that kind of thinking seeps into your relationship with God. Like, like we have this temptation to think, well, I'm doing well when I'm, when I'm not yelling at my kids. I'm parenting well. I'm reading my Bible. I'm going to church. I'm helping the little old lady across the street. I'm exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. I'm doing all the good things that I, I can do then God must be more pleased with me. And the flip side is true. If I'm not doing those things, maybe I yelled at my kids and maybe I'm not being patient and kind and, and, and maybe maybe I didn't help the little old lady across the street. I didn't want to read my Bible this week and, and we're, we're, we're living kind of like not, not our best, going through a rough patch. Then we think, then God must not be pleased with me now. Like I want to think God's opinion of me is based on my performance, but that's not true. Here's what is true a person is right with God not by keeping a list of rules, but rather because of his faith in Jesus. It's not about your ability to do. It's about believing and then being who he says you are. You know, what God says about you outweighs what anybody else says about you. What, what God says about you outweighs what you say about you. And what does God say about you? If your faith is in Christ, here's what God says about you. You are righteous. You are in this moment justified. You don't have to do, you don't have to maintain just to keep up. Here's what God wants. He wants you to be still, and rest in a relationship with him. Because of faith in Jesus, listen to me, your faith is in Jesus. You are secure. He has already received you. He doesn't throw you back. He's already pleased with us because he's pleased with his son. And that's where our faith is. Let's pray.